can see it's on. Um, I hope that was clear. Bring, take your pans and dishes and eat leftovers home. Um, if you could remember to do that, please. Just one reminder for the men. Uh, tomorrow morning, 9.30, we have our men's uh, breakfast. Um, and Mr. Pollock will be there and have some time together. So at 9.30, uh, if you could make it to the basement, uh, please. Uh, let's open this uh, service by singing from Psalm 124, please. Psalm 124. Now Israel may say, and that truly, if that the Lord had not our cause maintained, if that the Lord had not our rights sustained, when cruel men who us desire to slay rose up in wrath to make of us their prey. Elania, are you, are you playing with this? Pardon? Are you playing the music for this one? Yeah, that's why I gave you the list. Stand to sing Psalm 
Please be seated. Let us now uh, pray together, please, calling upon the Lord for his help and blessing. Let us pray. Thou merciful and blessed Jehovah God, Thou Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, we come before Thee to worship Thee this evening and to call upon Thy name. We call upon Thee, O Lord, to help us to worship Thee. Help us, O Lord, to be taught of Thy Word. And so we pray, O Lord, to help us. Help us in this worship. Help us to be taught. May it please Thee to grant that the sword of Thy Spirit may enter deep in, and that it may do us good, that we would be granted of heaven uh, teachable spirits, that we may hear what the Lord would say unto us, uh, and what He would have us to know and to understand uh, concerning this aspect of the diaconate, of the serving of uh, the church according to the command of Christ. And Lord, as we come into thy holy presence, we must confess that we have sinned. We've sinned against thee in thought and in word, in the deeds that we've done. We've sinned against thee. We've sinned against each other. But Lord, we confess our sins. And Lord, and we know that thou art righteous and gracious and just to forgive us our sins for Christ's sake. And so, Lord, we do pray that even now, as thy servant would come and to give uh, thy word, that thou would be exalted, that we would understand more uh, of the order that thou wouldst have in thy church, that these things would be done according to thy word, and therefore bring thee much glory. We pray for those unable to be with us tonight, Lord, for those who are unwell, uh, Lord, that need thy touch uh, because of old age or sickness. We pray, O oh Lord, will thou help those who are or aged and infirm, remember Mrs. Fisser and her ankle and Mrs. Esayenko and her back and, and leg. Remember Mrs. Ainsley also and her needs and Mrs. Flynn. Lord, remember um, Leonora Davids and, and her shoulder. We thank the Lord for the, uh, the slight improvement. We pray that thou would continue to heal and to help her, O oh Lord. And as we come to this time in, in this church's, in this congregation's life, uh, looking to uh, choose uh, new deacons, O oh God, we look to Thee to grant help, much help, that there would be clear uh, spiritual discernment granted to each of Thy children who are members in this congregation, to know the men whom Thou wouldst have uh, to serve uh, Thy session, to serve Thy congregation, and to serve the name of Jesus. And we do pray, Lord, for uh, that blessing of Thine, that, Lord, that Thou would restrain by Thy grace the carnality that we all possess, and that we may be led and guided by the Spirit of God, and that all things may redound to the glory of Jesus, even in the continuing forth of the diaconate in this congregation. Lord, we pray that all things, even tonight, would come forth and redound to the glory of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, take up your uh, hymn books uh, once again, please, to hymn 547. Hymn 547. 
Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mould me and make me after thy will while I am waiting, yielded and still. Let this be a prayer to the Lord of us all. Hymn 547, standing to sing, please. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Please be seated and I'd hand over the pulpit to our brother, the Reverend Dr. Stephen Pollock. Well, good evening. Counted a great privilege to be back here in Calgary. Uh, thank you for the invitation. I know it's an important time for you as a church. It always is when you come to uh, election of officers, whether it be elders or deacons. And I commend your session for the wisdom uh, in really setting a time, some time of special Bible teaching on the subject. And I trust it will uh, clarify and help many of these things you will have heard before. You will, I trust, be familiar with much of the material. Uh, but may it be a benefit to your, to your hearts and, and just really help you to focus upon the things of first importance on this uh, particular subject. Thank you also for the food uh, prepared uh, tonight. It was challenging not to eat too much. It's never, never good to preach on a full stomach. 
Uh, even worse to preach having had sweet desserts before preaching because your mouth gets dry and I, I fell foul of that particular sin and had some sweet things before preaching. But I think it might be okay. Uh, we'll see how it goes uh, tonight. But please turn in your Bibles at this time to Acts chapter 6. Going to read two portions of Scripture. Um, we'll look at both of them uh, tonight, but primarily Acts chapter 6. And then we'll turn across also to 1 Timothy chapter 3. But Acts chapter 6 to begin with, and let's hear the word of the Lord. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch whom they set before the apostles. And when they prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And that's Acts chapter 6. And then turn across, please, also. And we'll read the words in 1 Timothy chapter 3. going to take time to read from verse number 1 also, including the office of the bishop. So, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy, a filthy looker, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy, a filthy looker, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own house as well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, let's pray again for the Lord's help tonight as we come to consider his precious truth. Let's all uh, seek the Lord's face together. Almighty God and Father, we come before thee realizing that we are looking into the very words of God. Considering the words, O oh God, that you have 
granted unto us through the inspiration of Luke and also Paul. And we pray that you give us the grace to approach your word with humility and with a determination to not only hear but to do the word of God. And the responsibility, O Lord, with regards to the diaconate falls upon the entire congregation, that they would look out men among themselves that they'd be careful to understand the biblical qualifications, and that they would also resolve by your grace to serve the church of God in the way that you have ordained. So grant us help and grace, we pray. Minister to us. May we know the outpouring of the Spirit of God upon us. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. I remember well the first time I properly addressed the subject of the diaconate back in a church in Northern Ireland. In many ways, it was a vibrant, healthy church. The prayer meetings were well attended, and there was a good spirit of prayer in those prayer meetings. The regular services were marked by reverence and joy, and the preaching was well received. But there was a major concern among the church overseers. Young men in the congregation were slow to commit to the work, and thus it was difficult to see who could serve as deacons if an election was to be held. I remember to this day how I started my message on that occasion. It was a simple observation, I believed, but I'm not sure that people saw the connection between the observation and the role of the deacon. The observation was this. If we are to go forward as a church, we must do so in conformity to the Word of God. That's a non-negotiable, isn't it? For church life, that the only way the church of Christ will go forward in any local expression is in an absolute commitment to be conformed to the Word of God in the Scriptures. The Bible, the Scriptures, and only the Scriptures must dictate how we are organized and how we function and work as local churches, whether it be in Malvern, Pennsylvania, or here in Calgary. You see, in practical terms, what does it actually mean? We all say, oh yeah, that's good, preacher. Uh, the Bible must rule uh, in our church life. But what does it actually mean? Well, it means the church should actually appoint deacons. That's part of what it is to be obedient as a local church. It should also mean that they will only appoint those deacons who are properly qualified, biblically qualified deacons. It also means that those who serve as deacons must function as God intended. Those are the three things. You appoint deacons, you appoint the right deacons, and those who are appointed, they, they work as deacons in the church. That is God's will for this area. Well, you say, well, preacher, you've just been preaching five minutes. You've got three messages to do in this. Well, there's more to say than that, but that's really it in a nutshell. This is what it is to do the will of God in the church. It means that failures in this area are, in essence, a denial of the Bible's authority over the church. And so whilst the issue of the diaconate 
is seen by many as being of lesser importance than other matters, yet when considered in light of the Word of God, you see just how important it is. We have here a section of Scripture that is given to the subject in 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'll argue also that Acts chapter 6 also gives information regarding the function of the deacon. And so it's in the Word of God. It's here for the health of the church. You'll see in verse 15 of 1 Timothy chapter 3 that Paul is writing to Timothy that he would be able to teach others what it is to behave properly in the house of God which is the church of the living God. This chapter in 1 Timothy outlines the two offices that make up the government of the church. I believe this chapter indicates that there are only two remaining offices. Now, you'll see the term office is used there in verse number 1, and also then in verse 10 and in verse 13 the office of a bishop, and the office of a deacon. Now, the bishop mentioned there in verse number 1 of chapter 3 is, as you'll know, the overseer, and that word is used alongside the word for the shepherd, the pastor, and also the elder, the presbyteros. And so you've got this overlapping language regarding the bishop. The bishop is the elder, the elder is the pastor, and all of those things in one office. The deacon diaconate, then, is the second of these remaining offices. Now, the pastoral epistles were likely written later than a book like 1 Corinthians. And so, in 1 Corinthians, you see language regarding prophets, those who could give a word of prophecy. And some say, well, are there not apostles and prophets in the church now? Are there not more than just two offices? What we believe is that there were offices that were temporary for the functioning of the New Testament church. The apostles and prophets, according to Ephesians chapter 2, are the foundational offices. And you only lay a foundation once. And so that foundation being laid, we then find Paul addressing Timothy as a pastor. And in the pastoral epistles, Timothy, first and second, and Titus, he gives directions regarding what the church will be like from henceforth. No reference to apostles and no reference to prophets, but now these two remaining offices, the work of the elder and also of the deacon. Or book of church order. Again, as a Presbyterian church, we have a book of church order that governs our practice. Um, We do believe it is according to the Word of God. And in that uh, book of church order in the form of government, chapter 2, it says this, the officers of a local congregation are its elders and deacons. Now, the BCO goes on to clarify the deacon's role. I was encouraged here. I had done the preparation. I put together the material. And I thought, I must go back to the BCO and see how the BCO defines these things. And in our BCO, it says this, To the deacons, collectively called the committee, belongs the work of being helpers of the elders in all the business matters of the church. Their office is one of service, especially in ministering to those in need or distress in the church. They shall have the care of the congregation's property, both real and personal, and have the responsibility of keeping its buildings in good repair. That's from our BCO, the work of the deacon. See, there are different ideas. I remember as a, as a teenager, I was converted when I was 16, 
And uh, my family at that point were attending a, a Baptist church in my hometown. And a new pastor came along, and he began to deal with some of the things in the background of the Baptist church. And they had deacons, but not really elders. There was a pastor who served as a church leader, really, and then there were deacons. And the deacons essentially functioned as elders. They were involved in all the decisions of the church. And they essentially functioned as elders. And I remember how difficult it was, even as a, as a new convert, watching the church trying to fix its procedures and ensuring the elders did the work of eldership and the deacons did the work of the diaconate. Realizing that there were two distinct offices, and yet they were clearly working together. For some people, the deacon is essentially the practical uh, janitor, if I use that term. They're the guy with the, the drill, the power drill in the back of their car. You know, you've got those guys in most churches. And there's a hammer, nails somewhere. And this is the guy that if there's something broken, they can fix it. And so that's the deacon. They're the fixer-upper of the church. In other churches, though, the deacon really is the leader and the overseer of the church. Neither of these things really do full justice to the biblical testimony. Remember, if you're going to go forward as a church here, you must do so in conformity to the word of the Lord. So what is the deacon? Well, the word itself is what we term just a transliteration of the Greek word group here. And so what they've done in translating it is they've just taken the Greek letters, put English form in that, and said, here's a deacon. And so it's one of those words, you've got to be quite careful how you interpret. In its verbal form, it has a sense of service. And so people often say, well, the deacon is a servant. And that's true. And in that sense, the word is, is used very broadly. Believe it or not, it's used in 1 Timothy 4, verse 6, regarding Timothy. If thou put the, the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister, a good deacon of Jesus Christ, a servant. It's used of Phoebe, our sister, in Romans chapter 16, a servant, the same word, deacon of the church, which is in Concrea. It's used of Christ. Christ came not to be deaconed unto, but to deacon. Not to minister unto, but to minister, Matthew chapter 20. So the word itself must be assessed in its context. And the general use of the word does not deny the fact that there is a church office in view here. There's something more here. It's not a case of, well, every Christian is saved to serve. I heard that when I was a child. Growing up, you know, you're saved to serve. And so deacon's a servant, therefore every Christian must do the work of the diaconate. Well, that, that can't be the sense here. The language here clearly gives qualifications to test men. Verse number 8 begins with the word likewise. Now, without any doubt, the first verses, verse 1 through 7, gives qualifications to test men with regards to the role of the elder pastor bishop qualifications. And so verse 8 then begins, likewise, just as you must test men for the bishopric, so you must also test men for the diaconate. Testing. 
So verse number 10 says, Then let them, sorry, let, sorry, verse number 10, And let these also first be proved, tested. Now clearly, verse number 12 makes the point that only men can hold this office. Thus, while Phoebe is called a servant of the church, there the term is being used more generally, whereas here it is being used in a particular sense regarding the office of the deacon. I'll say more about women and deaconesses, as they're sometimes called on the Lord's Day, Lord willing. But hist for now, please note that we're looking at verses here that deal with a particular office. But one meaning of the diaconate that really is coming to the fore in modern thought is that the diaconate as a word carried the idea of one who was a formal assistant. Kind of B-dag is the Greek lexicon that many people use, really an authority on the Greek language. And they have several definitions for the deacon, but this one comes to the fore. And Alexander Strzok, who's written some very helpful things on the eldership and the diaconate, says this, In recent years, scholars have shown that there is a wider linguistic range of meaning of the diakon word group than previously acknowledged. And he's making the point that the word is not limited to what people sometimes think of menial tasks. You see, sometimes people would think of the diaconate and say, well, they are the table servants. They do the menial tasks of the church, and it undermines its importance. But rather, in this word group, there is the idea of one, a subordinate, carrying on the assignment of a superior's behalf, and having full authority to execute the superior's delegated task. Those are the words of struck again regarding this matter of the diaconate as a formal assistant. And that, I believe, fits very, very well with the pictures that we see in the New Testament Scriptures. Hence, I was encouraged with our BCO, where it has that language, to the deacons belongs the work of being helpers of the elders in all matters of the church. To offices. First Timothy chapter 3, you have the elder and you have the deacon. But the very fact they're brought together, and as we'll see, they work together in Acts chapter 6, shows that they work in unity and in harmony for a shared goal in Christian ministry. So sometimes the offices have been so separated that you don't see the unity of service. So the elders do their thing, the deacons do their thing, but rather biblically, they all together do the work of God in their respective roles. Some of you, again, have husbands and your husbands and wives. Well, if you're going to have a happy marriage, you want to make sure that you have the same goal and the same aim for your family. It's not the husband doing his thing and the wife doing her thing, but rather they work together in unity and harmony for the good of the family. Well, that's what the elders and deacons are to be like, working in unity and harmony for the benefit of the body with a shared goal in the Christian ministry. That's what we see when you look at the New Testament Scriptures. Now, you've got to prove that, but that is what I believe you see when you examine the language of the diaconate. And so over the next tonight and 
Sunday morning and evening, I want to look at several issues regarding the diaconate in the New Testament. And first of all tonight, I want to look at the pattern provided for this rule. So turn back, please, to Acts chapter 6. Because we have in Acts chapter 6 a pattern that God has provided for us, a particular situation which has furnished a pattern that will help us understand this rule going forward. Acts chapter 6, we read the verses together, and it may be helpful to encourage us as we embark upon this study by seeing the divine blessing that comes upon a rightly ordered church. Verse number 7 says, And the word of God increased. Verse number 1 is a threat to that reality. There's division. And when there's division and disunity, the work of God is hindered. Read Philippians. Strive together for the faith of the gospel. But when there's disunity, the work of God is hindered. And so when there's this issue in chapter 6, verse 1, the work of God is threatened. But when that issue is addressed properly in the appointment of these seven men, then God's blessing comes upon the work. And God is pleased to see a growth in the church. Even so much that a great company of the Jewish priests were obedient to the faith. That must have been some Lord's day. As God has organized this work in such a way, and they've dealt with a problem, and then I'm not suggesting it happened in one day, but over time the congregation swells and grows, and then the priests start coming in. Well, we want days of blessing like that, don't we? When those who are least expected come to Christ... Well, here we're seeing a pattern whereby God is pleased to bless the organization of the church to that end. One man says this, The witness of history is plain. A congregation without biblically functioning deacons is impoverished. But a congregation with them is incalculably rich. You know, I don't want you folks tonight, and again, I, I don't really know the church here very well. I don't want you to think about your diaconal election and saying, well, it's just something we've got to do. <laughs> Churches have to elect deacons. It's about time we elected deacons. You know, we're told in our BCO that the term of service for a deacon is three years. And then there's a re-election. That's the normal pattern. Now, there's permission given for some elongation of that, but yeah, normally a, a church that's going forward should seek to re-elect or elect new deacons every three years or thereabouts. Not because we just have to do that. You know, we don't come to the Lord's house in the Lord's day just because we've got to do that. We do it in obedience to God and in the expectation that when we obey the Lord, He's pleased to add the increase and the blessing. And so a church with biblically functioning deacons is indeed incalculably rich. So here there is a dispute. It's a divisive issue, ethnic the Grecians here mentioned are likely Hellenistic Jews. And again, there was a scattering of the Jews prior to Christ's coming. And in that scattering, there were those who adopted the Greek culture of that time. And so they were Jews, but they, they spoke Greek. And there were others, the Hebrews, who were like, well, we're, we're the real Jews. It's an ethnic issue here. A divisive issue. You know how those can destroy churches. 
This is not just a matter of two people falling out over how many chairs you should have in the church. This is an issue that could pull the church asunder, such as the depth of its divisiveness. Not only is it divisive, it's a daily issue, it's a practical thing. The widows were neglected in the daily administration. Verse number one. When you turn, not don't turn, but when you look at First Timothy chapter 5, you will see that Paul instructs the church regarding the care of widows. Those who could not work, who could not provide themselves, very vulnerable in society. And so the church quite rightly loved the widows and sought to serve their needs. But there were some who were being neglected. Distracting issue. The men, the twelve, the apostles, verse number one, they say to the multitude, they pull the church together and they say, it is not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. They were distracted in their work. The apostles are so concerned, and so they seek to have men appointed to serve tables. Now, I say this chapter serves as a pattern for the work of the deacon. Because the noun for deacon is not used here. We are not told that these seven men were appointed to be deacons. But what we do have, we have here the verb being used. And it is those two words, serve tables. It is the verb form of the noun for the the deacon. And so, while there may be debate as to whether or not this is the beginning of the diaconal office, undoubtedly there is an overlap in the themes. Note, aim number one, feed the widows. Aim number two, free up the apostles. From the second century, this passage was viewed as foundational for the office of the deacon. Very likely, the readers in Acts would have seen these men as forming the office of deacon that then would be formalized in the apostle epistles. So, yeah, I'm, I'm granting this. This is a beginning. The church is beginning to figure itself out, and so they begin to think of the benefit of appointing these men, not because they're clever, but because they're led by the Holy Ghost. This New Testament church, the apostles being led by the Holy Ghost, they see the benefit of appointing men to serve tables so that the apostles would not be distracted from their work. It forms a pattern for church life and for diaconal function. The need that thought be given to the physical needs of others whilst ensuring the prayerful labor of the Word is not hindered. The church had a problem, widows being neglected. The solution was to select men to administer the program of help, ensuring that none were neglected and all was done fairly, enabling, here's the concept, assisting the apostles to get on with their God-given duties. The deacons have a vitally responsible role in the life of a healthy biblical church. It is upon the deacon's shoulders that lies the responsibility of ensuring the church does what it's meant to do. Ensuring that the Word of God is preached without hindrance, while ensuring the church loves one another in Christian unity. And so these men that were appointed, they are problem-solving action men that are involved in the work of God. 
functioning as they're intended, and in so doing, feeding widows and freeing the apostles for their responsibilities. That's the pattern. And secondly, and the only other thing I want to say tonight, is I want to look at this in light of the purpose of the church that's implied from this role. Diaconal elections are wonderful events. You don't look convinced. For real? For using the Americanism. They can be. If a congregation is biblically and spiritually minded, a diaconal election is an opportunity for the church to reaffirm its commitment to do what churches do. It's a time to assess, to take stock, and to ensure before God we will be the church that God wants us to be. You see, from the pattern and from the word group, you get this concept of serving, especially acts of kindness to those in need. Historically, I've said there has been a distinction between the work of the elder and that of the deacon. The elder, you're, you're the spiritual caretaker of the church, and the deacon, you're the physical caretaker. Uh, that distinction is fine, uh, but it may be too sharp, as I've said already. I think it's better to have a common view that elder and deacon works together with different functions to ensure the spiritual function of the church. All of that's required. So if you're fixing a broken door, you're doing that for the benefit of the spiritual work of God. If you're serving the needy in the community, you're doing that for the spiritual benefit of the work of God. Now, again, when you go back to history and you go back to see even the early centuries, the historian Charles DeWeese says this, the deacons visited martyrs who were in prison, clothed, and buried the dead. Who wants to be a deacon? You can go and see martyrs who were in prison before they died. You then go and clothe and bury the dead. They looked after this, communicated with the hope of restoring them. They provided the needs of widows and orphans and visited the sick and those who were otherwise in distress. He says this, In a plague that struck Alexandria about A.D. 259, deacons were described by an eyewitness as those who visited the sick fearlessly, ministered to them continually, and died with them most joyfully. These were mighty men of God who were willing to sacrifice their lives for the well-being of the church of Christ. That's not just the work of the elder, not just the work of the evangelist or the pastor or the missionary. Here are deacons who are giving their very lives for the work of God, seeking to ensure that the church does what the church is meant to do. I might put it this way. The deacons are to ensure that the church functions in loving the brethren, so promoting unity under the Word of God. Practical concerns can distract and divide. When we came out of the college back in Northern Ireland, we would go before an examination committee, and they'd ask you some scenarios about church life. And one of the ones they sometimes discussed was the fact, well, how do you deal with your diaconates when they're squabbling over how many chairs to buy for the fellowship hall? One man's convinced there should be 40. The other man said, we don't need 40, 30 is plenty, and 40 is too expensive. 
And this scenario is presented to you as a, as a trainee minister. How are you going to deal with this problem? And you couldn't say, well, I'm, I'm going to be in my study reading the Bible. You know, that's a silly illustration. But the point was well made. These practical matters can become so divisive and distracting. And the deacons are meant to absorb those matters to allow the teaching elder or elders to focus upon their responsibilities. To be the ones who problem-solve divisive issues in the practical realm so that the church does what the church can do. It's a radical definition, isn't it? Maybe not historically, but perhaps it is today. In some churches, deacons are elders in training, or else they're church accountants, or they're fixer-uppers, as I've said. But biblically, they are overseeing the church's ministry of love, enabling the pastor-teacher to preach the Word. The church is meant to love one another. Did you expect to have this theme in the subject of the diaconate? Well, that's what it's about. The deacons are to ensure that the church functions in loving one another. That is the work, of course, of every Christian individually. Let's look at some of the verses. Look at James chapter 1, please. Remember, my thesis right now is to seek to prove that the deacons are to ensure that the church does what the church is meant to do. Well, you might say, well, what's the church meant to do? It's a good question. What's it all about? What are we about as a church? Well, James chapter 1 tells us what religion ought to be like. James 1 verse 27, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Now, in the free church, we do the second part of that very, very well, or we'd like to think we do. We are big on separation. We are big on ensuring that the world does not infiltrate the church. We keep ourselves unspotted from the world. But I'm not so sure we're quite as good at visiting the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. I'm not sure we really do that very well. The church doing what the church is meant to do. But this is pure religion before God. In other words, as God is our witness, this is what the church is meant to do. Ensure a ministry of love. And so in James chapter 2, James continues to make the point regarding Christian faith. How do you know someone's a believer? They say they're a believer. How do you know? Well, he shows us that faith is, of course, exemplified in Christian love. Chapter 2, verse 15. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you shall say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. In other words, someone comes to the church and they say, we're in financial crisis, we cannot feed our family this week, and you say to them, I'll pray for you. Continues, notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful for the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. 
Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Now, folks, I understand we do not believe for one second that any man is saved by works. We are saved by Christ, and we receive Christ by faith alone. We understand that's the way of salvation. But every single person who believes in Jesus Christ has a brand new heart. They're born again of the Spirit of God. And from that heart comes a heart of love for people and a desire to serve people. And so faith is shown by these works of mercy and love. John says the very same thing, 1 John chapter 3. Turn there, please. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother of need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in deed, or neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth. You see, Christian love is not about telling people in the church, you know, I love you, brother. By the way, just in case you're confused by this, verse 18 is not suggesting that you do not tell someone you love them. Some husbands will say to their wives, your wife, you know I love you. I don't need to tell you. That's not an encouragement for that kind of attitude. It's not saying, do not love in word. It's not saying, do not love in tongue. It is saying, not only in word, not only in tongue, but with the words and with the tongue comes the deed and the sincerity and the truth. In other words, what's a true Christian? Someone who acts in love for the brethren. And not only for the brethren, but as we'll see very shortly, for those outside also. So I've asked this question, what's the church to do? Well, the church is to function as a loving community, serving and meeting the needs of those around us. You see, that is not only the duty and the privilege of the individual Christian, it is the duty of the church corporately. Galatians chapter 6, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men especially unto them who are of the household of the faith. Not only the household of the faith, but especially. Hebrews chapter 13, But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for of such sacrifices God is well pleased. So I want to suggest to you again tonight that a biblically functioning church is a church that serves in love, serves children, serves families, serves widows, serves and loves a broken society, and the deacons are ordained of God to ensure the church does that. It's a massive responsibility and an awesome privilege to help the church to function as the church is intended to function to ensure the church ministers in love, thereby enabling the pastor-teacher to give himself to prayer and the ministry of the Word. It's all one aim. It's all one spiritual goal. 
with the deacons serving alongside the eldership for the benefit of the church, for the glory of Christ. And so before I close for tonight, there are a couple of lessons that we must not miss here. First of all, the prayerful ministry of the Word is the primary task of the church. I'm not denying what I've just said. I'm actually re-emphasizing it, but from a different angle. You see, what we've seen so far makes this apparent. In simple terms, nothing must hinder the task of prayer and ministry. Nothing must hinder the task of prayer and the ministry of the Word. Whatever else happens, that must continue. And nothing must distract that. Nothing must divert that task. The apostles, they don't neglect the needs of the widows, but they realize that the widows may cause them to neglect the Word. They may become so consumed with the task of serving the widows that they may may neglect their primary function. You see, a church without deacons is unhealthy. But a church without the Word is dead. And so the primary function of the church is to ensure the prayerful ministry of the Word of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, It is wrong to put serving tables before the preaching of the Word of God because it is always wrong to put man before God. That, in a nutshell, is the real trouble with the world. Man is at the center. Man is everything. Deacons remind us of a very important truth. The Word of God is vital. The reason we appoint deacons is because the Word of God is vital for the church. That's why it matters. That's why we come back to it year upon year, because we realize that the deacons are vitally important in the church to enable the pastor-teacher to labor prayerfully in the ministry of the Word. You know, unsaved soul here tonight, let me tell you, deacons point you to Christ. Oh, yeah, they'll, they'll do so in word. They'll do so by example. But their very office points you to Christ. Because the fact there are deacons in the church is an indication that the loving Christ understands that his church must be centered upon the preaching of the word. And the deacons are appointed because Christ loves sinners and wants sinners to hear the gospel. And Christ loves saints and wants saints to hear the Word of God. And they don't want a distracted, diverted minister who's no time to study and no time to pray. They want a man of God who is in the Word. And he comes Lord's Day by Lord's Day in the Word and bringing the Word from the study to the pulpit to minister to your souls. And the deacons are vital for that task to go forward for the glory of God. You see, if nothing must hinder and undermine the preaching of the Word, then no matter what else, this church must be a place where the Word of God is preached. I always find this so challenging. I look at my own schedule, I look at my own work, and there are so many other tasks in the ministry. And 
I've got to keep on being careful that I'm not distracted from my primary duty. I'm not suggesting all other tasks are not profitable or useful. They are. And so the issue is not that only preaching the Word, only studying, and only praying. The issue is that you must seek to ensure, and I speak to my brother here, and I speak to myself, we must ensure before God that we do not allow other things to push the primary thing to the side. Do the primary, and then as time allows, do the others. First things first. Prioritize the main things, and then other things will follow. I'm not suggesting that a minister can't get their knees dirty fixing some part of the church or painting the church. I'm not suggesting that for a second. It can be very therapeutic, so I'm told. But the main thing's the main thing. And when it's not the main thing, the church suffers. The sheep are underfed, malnourished, and the sinners don't hear the full gospel. You know, if God has assigned the preaching of the Word such a place in His divine order, does it occupy that place in your life? It's lovely being in a different pulpit, because I can say what I'm going to say now without any apology. Because when, when I'm back in Malvern and I talk about this sort of thing, it's almost like I'm trying to get people's arm up their back and say, you've got to come to church on Sunday because my ego needs you to be here. You know, if they're empty pews, I, I feel that in my ego. You've got to feed my ego so I'll feel better about myself and come because the Word of God's very, very important. Now, the Word of God's very, very important. Don't come for a minister. Come to hear the Word of God. Don't come because a minister tells you. Come because you know the Word of God is vitally important for your spiritual well-being. The diaconate proves that. If the Word of God is non-negotiable, then your attendance under the Word of God should be non-negotiable. It's of vital importance that you're under the Word of God, feeding upon the truth of Christ. Acts 6 proves that. A sermon on deacons. But God has appointed deacons to enable the word to be preached without distraction or division. I said there were two lessons. The first long, that's that one. The prayerful ministry of the word is the primary task of the church. But secondly, the primary task is not the only task. We must not neglect the secondary duties of the church, content in the knowledge that we're performing the first. There are many Reformed churches that are very, very confident in their acknowledgement of the Word of God in prayer. Well, you know, we're a Reformed church. We preach the Word. We pray through the Word. But I wonder, do we fall short of the standards set by brothers and sisters in other denominations? Back home in Northern Ireland, it's often the charismatic churches that have the angle on the food banks and the ministries of mercies. 
I don't know how to properly apply this. I just present the problem to you. The deacons that were appointed here can solve those problems in this context. How do we show mercy and ministry to people in this congregation that need? How do we take the gospel to this neighborhood by showing mercy to the society around us that is so broken? Now, please hear carefully, the secondary must not become the primary. And the secondary has become primary in liberal churches. But the primary is not the solitary task. Just preaching without any Christian love. Deacons, that's their function. So I pray for you, I'll pray with you. Pray for this gathering over the next couple of days that we'll know the help of God and that by God's grace we'll not only be hearers but doers of the word so that the word of God will increase and a great multitude will believe the gospel. Let's bow together in prayer. Eternal God, we thank you for your word again before us tonight. The issues of practicality and function and government. And yet, dear Father, we understand in your will these issues are issues of primary importance for the preaching of the gospel. How easy it is for church to be distracted regarding its first function. Help us, O God, to love the Word. I pray for our brother here in the pulpit as he would labor in the Word and in prayer I pray you'd help him to come week by week full of the Holy Ghost, preaching Christ and him crucified. Bless the church here. We thank you for it. We pray this weekend our time together would be beneficial and that we'd know the very voice of God speaking to our souls. And as I say, if there's some unsaved soul in this meeting tonight, may in this strange fashion, may they be convicted of their sins. And may they realize that Christ loves sinners and wants the Word of God to be sown in their hearts. O oh, Lord, bless our time. We thank you for this. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank our brother for bringing the Word of God to us uh, this evening. Let us uh, close by singing from hymn 222, please. Hymn 222, Church of God, Beloved and Chosen. And we'll stand to sing hymn 222. Remain standing for the benediction, please. Please do stand to sing.
Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen.